Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Sean Shapiro. Sean, what's going on, man? Yeah, it's good. It's good to do this in person. Yeah. Oh, man. If people <laughs> saw what we went through to make this happen, we were going to record <laughs> at a first location. Then it was too noisy because of downtown Vancouver construction. Then we went to a second one. Couldn't make it happen. Now we're here in your hotel room. Mm-hmm. It's nice and quiet. We're actually doing a video version of this as well for people to check out on YouTube. So we have to get the lighting right. We have to move around some uh, some jackets, some stuff all around the hotel room. So we're finally here. We're finally recording. It was a I'm big. Excited. It was a big production. It was yeah, a big for, production for the people that are just listening to this on like on their phones regularly as podcasts and iTunes. They're just like, what? What is happening right now? Why are Why are they being so weird about this? Yes. But it was a it was a whole ordeal. But I'm excited to do this. You know, we needed to spice it up because I felt like we've set such a high standard with having you on the show where the first two times, the first time was, I believe the summer of 2018 when we were in the peak, like Miro Heiskanen yes. for Eric Carlson trade yes. rumors. And we talked about that for like an hour. Yes. And then the second time I had you on was after the CEO went out and completely roasted yes. the two best players in the team. And then we like debriefed. And I think that was like just before new year's 20, 2018 last year. So that would have been, yeah, that would have been whether we did it before new year's day or not. I'm not sure, but it was right around that time where it was, because December twenty eighth yep. was the uh, were the famous Jim Light's comments from last year, and well, the best was the first like the first headline that came out from it was like I don't know who did it, but it was like it was F, and then it was oh, like blanked the out, yeah, ING, they, yes, yes. and then it was horses, <laughs> yeah, and then yes, a bunch of like yes, misplaced yes, asterisks. Yes. And it was like, what looked, did they do to those horses? <laughs> yes, effing horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, what <laughs> this is a this is a big story. Um, so I guess in a, in a sense. Uh, the stars are, if you just look, miss the first month of the season and mm-hmm. you just look at the standings page now and you're like, let's check in with the stars. You'd be like, all right, they're slightly over 500. They're pretty much even goal differential, maybe underwhelming considering our preseason expectations, but certainly not a disaster. There's many yep. teams that have disappointed much further. But then if you actually been following along for the ride as you have covering this mm-hmm. team and as I've been from a distance, yeah. it's like, uh, it's just been up 
and oh, I guess it was down, yeah, it was big down, down, it was down and then and it was a big up, up. And now and, we're yeah. on this stretch where we're recording this on a Thursday um, afternoon, yeah. eight one and one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really kind of balances out that horrible stretch yeah. to start the season. But man, it's been it's been quite an interesting path they took to getting here. It's I mean, so stars they started the season one seven and one in their first nine games, and it was there was a legit point um, this season where I was at, and during that stretch, and even kind of past that stretch where we're thinking. Um, Am I about to cover a coaching search or a GM search in the middle of the season? Like that's that's what it felt like. Yeah. It was and it actually wasn't during the one seven and one that it felt like this was the end, actually. Like the one seven and one was bad. But they came back, they won a couple games, and then they lay an absolute dud in the third period against the Pittsburgh Penguins, where they actually play pretty well for the first two periods, and then zero zero game in the third period, and they just don't show up at all in the third period. Yep. And then the next game is the game against the Minnesota Wild. Right. Which is the game where people will remember the Stars scored six goals in the final 21 minutes. Yeah. But with how the first 35 minutes of that game's going, when you combine it with the end of the third period from the Pittsburgh game before and how things had gone before, you're thinking, like, wow, this is the type of effort and this is the type of game when you combine these six straight periods of hockey, one Pittsburgh, two versus Minnesota, that... Somebody, uh, maybe somebody is somebody is making a call and saying, "Okay, we have to change something. We're changing something." Whether it's a coach getting fired, a GM getting fired, because those are the things that those are the people who ultimately can get axed. Like yeah. we all know, players can't get fired. Right. It's just not possible. And well, realistically, I mean, I'm sure there's ways well, we in can, the NFL they yes, sort of can. Yes, but, yeah. but yeah. so then Alexander Radulov, with a little bit of help from Devin Dubnik's play, yeah. <laughs> in the final 21 minutes of the. Uh, of the uh, of that Minnesota game, Stars score six unanswered. Radulov has the hat trick, yep. and then everything just kind of switches. And it's there's a lot of credit that's due here. Um, for one, the players as a whole kind of bought into more of what the coaching staff was asking them to do, mm-hmm. um, and the coaching staff also was willing to make adjustments to it, which is something that I think there's it's 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 funny in Dallas right now. I hear. There's, there was a time where I kept hearing on Twitter that, oh, well, the players revolted against Montgomery in those 21 minutes and decided to score six goals against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. No, that, that's not what happened. Right. Like, that, that's that's not how this works. These players, these guys aren't organized enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, what happened was the Stars, they realized they kind of found an identity that actually works in the last 10 games. Now, mm-hmm. they're obviously 8-1-1, one, and... One, and there was an acceptance from the players and the coaches that you can be tough defensively, and there's also room to create offensively and use that aggressiveness to actually create chances. I think the, the biggest thing you notice with the Stars is the forecheck. Um, it went from a forecheck that was based on defending 200 feet from their net to one that was actually trying to create 200 feet from their net. Right. Like I think we saw a real change where we're going to do everything we can to keep that puck to keep the puck 200 feet away because we don't want them to score to a, a switch of, oh, if we force a turnover here, we can actually try and create something. And that was the biggest switch, and I think that's kind of been – it created a lot of confidence for a lot of those depth players who need to play that way to have success. Well, so the, on this 8-1-1 stretch, yeah. they've outscored teams 29-16. Um, in seven of those wins, they've given up exactly one goal against, mm-hmm. and they did so last night yep. against Calgary as well. And that's kind of – became their mo or their trademark yeah. last year where it was 
you know, they might be disappointing offensively. They have big names that aren't mm-hmm. producing the way we'd expect from a ca- the caliber of their, their talent. But when you are so stingy defensively and you're pretty much just like, all right, we, all we need to do is score two goals tonight to win or yeah. even the regular season one and then get to a shootout yeah. and potentially yeah. win it there. Like your, your margin for error or the bar you have to clear is so low. Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but I had high expectations for this team heading into the season. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, part of it might have just been um, – the most recent sample we saw from them was a team that pushed the eventual Stanley yeah. Cup champions yes. right to the limit. Yeah. Uh, they looked significantly better after Matt Zuccarello came back because he was injured after they traded for him and he comes back and really kind of unlocked group of hands and you saw the potential mm-hmm. of that team. Yeah. And heading into this year, I think a lot of people, myself included, were like, you know, it's kind of boring to like pick St. Louis to win the Central yeah. or, or, you know, Nashville potentially you, you could, but... Dallas was such like an interesting team in terms of like, oh, let's really mix it up and let's like yeah. let's be trendy and, and, yeah. and let's pick them. And there was certainly some logic there because of the things they do well. But watching them, even though the results have been there, I still like leave games feeling um underwhelmed or disappointed. I'm not sure what the right descriptive term is, but like you just look at the players and you're like, Okay, even if they're not getting the balances, even if Tyler Sagan's been unlucky and he's gonna be better, like just the way this team plays, like is this the best course of action for the personnel they do have? It is the, I think it's the best course of action for certain players. I think the, the biggest issue with the stars, with how they play, is it's not the style, it's not that being aggressive and playing smart defensively, because I think that's works. Like, I think, like, Andrew Cogliano, Jason Dickinson, like, yeah. The guys like that, you know what? This system works for yeah. guys like oh, that. Oh, they're loving it. Like, Blake I, I, Como, he's yeah, loving it. I think, I think the issue is there's a uh, there's a gauge, right? And so I think there's a there's there's a gauge between where hard work and skill kind of have to meet. There's right. a sliding level. And I think the problem is right now for the players that have the skill that should be allowed to work on that sliding level, yep. they're treating it like a switch as opposed to a sliding level. Like I think we see too much of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radulov, the shift they're going to work hard. Yeah is not the shift where they're going to show their skill right. and vice versa, where you need them to work together. I think the biggest example for me comes on the power play where the power play, pretty power play goals mm. don't happen because of skill. Just frankly, like they do, but they happen because you win that first puck battle and all yes. of a sudden you turn a five on four really into a five on three for five seconds. Yep. And during that, those five seconds is... So I think for Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, Alexander Radulov... It's kind of they haven't been able to find that sliding scale, and John Klingberg as well, who he's hurt, so he's kind of been kind of precluded from some of the criticisms lately. Right, but um, they haven't been able to find that sliding scale of okay, skill and hard work can coexist, and instead it's just a switch that goes okay, we're going to work hard this shift, we're going to we're going to do this as opposed to the next shift, we're going to try and be fancy. Like there's there's a line that needs to be blurred for for those high skill players for. Jason, I, I think it's a wonderful system for the guys who aren't skilled enough mm-hmm. to need that line. Like, yep. there's you look, your bottom six should be playing the way they are, and that's that's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, but it's it, it, it's it's I'm I'm struggling with this kind of imbalance because I think so much of coaching is like stuff we're not necessarily privy to. Right? It's like behind the scenes. Yeah. It's it's a lot of motivational stuff. It's a lot of um, you know things that you can't necessarily just from watching a game well, and, just notice. And I, and I think with big name players just let's be honest like not even Dallas top players don't the only thing you can do with top players is overcoach them yeah like you can't like let's we'll just use Connor McDavid's in Edmonton right 
whatever, no matter what the coaching staff does, it's going to be he's still going to be a great player. Right. And I think, and I don't think the stars are over coaching. I, I don't think it's an over coaching issue. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't get the feeling that it is, and maybe I'm wrong on that because obviously I don't know what I don't know what the honest feeling of inside their heads are of the, those players. But I think it's more of. And this falls on both the players and the coaches. The coaches need to do probably need a better job of saying, "Hey, Tyler, you can you can create more. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do this." And on the flip side, the players need to be able to say, "You know what? Look, I'm paid nine point eight five million dollars per season yeah. because I can put the puck in the net." And there's places you can do that without straying away and breaking the system. Yes. So no, but but that's kind of what yeah. I was getting at yeah. where. Putting players in a position to succeed based on their skill set. Mm-hmm. And I do think Jim Montgomery has done that. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm for the lower half of the roster and the more kind yeah. of defensively inclined players, certainly. I think the system kind of goes better with them. But when you look at the usage, right? Like, you yeah. can't quibble with the fact that he gets John Klingberg out there while he's healthy yeah. in offensive situations, yeah. offensive zone draws, mm-hmm. getting him out there yeah. as much as possible. Same with the top line, yeah. really. Like, if you look yeah. at the split, I think the stars... I think, here's, here's a really good example, actually. So there's one thing that I think Jim Montgomery kind of gets crap for on social media is people, and and you know what? This has become an entire, this is a bigger issue for our entire industry, is people see the lines at morning skate, yeah. and they assume that's the line for the full game. So we'll use, we'll use the example for last night, where stars playing Calgary, and Justin Dowling is with... Jamie, uh, Jamie Bed and Tyler Sagan. Right. And my entire Twitter <laughs> mentions throughout the day are filled. What the hell is Justin Dowling doing playing scoring with Scoring sweet goals. He did score. Doing. He did score a sweet goal. That was a tremendous story. But what the hell is he doing with Jamie Bed and Tyler Sagan? That was the reaction. Right. And yes, they played together for a good amount of the game. However, there were shifts where um, two of their best pants. Two of their best chances for Ben and Sagan were Joe Pavelski was out there with them. There was an offensive zone draw in the second period where um, uh, Montgomery sends out Sagan, um, Radulov, Corey Perry, Miro Hishkin, and Nessa Lindell for an offensive zone draw. Right. Where and none of those, and that's basically taking three different lines and putting them together. So I think as a whole, and this is just not just stars related. This is everything. We get way too attached to oh, this coach put these lines together for morning skate or rushes and. And they do make adjustments. Yeah. And if I'm going to be critical of Jim Montgomery, it is fair to say I don't know if he's done the best things with his power play units. Like right. that—that that is to me the Stars' power play has struggled, and that to me is probably the area where you could say I don't know if you've done the right things with that. Like you're mm-hmm. trying different buttons clearly, but is Tyler Sagan at his best in the middle, for example? Like right. they've put Tyler Sagan in kind of that bumper spot. He's probably more no. effective in my mind in that on that on this half wall or the dot there. Right. So things like that where maybe special teams could be more effective. But that's usually not on the head coach, right? It is on the head coach now though, because he took over the power. Mm. So Todd Nelson th- that was one of the changes that happened this season. So he took over it was Todd Nelson was running the power play. And about seven games ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Seven games ago seven or eight games ago, he basically took over power play responsibilities from Todd Nelson, turned Todd Nelson into a spot where still had input in everything, but Montgomery's the one who's in charge of it, and mm. Nelson is now the one, is now the, got moved to the eye in the sky. The Stars didn't really have a full-time eye in the sky coach, and so they moved him to, to that role. So so it does. it. So this in this case, the power play here does fall on Montgomery, right. where the moving around and things like that, and 
like they scored a power play goal last night and it was but it was a rush chance they have yet to really do much of anything to create and generate from getting once they're set up in the zone so yeah and i do think i think yeah. i think uh you know they're the stars local broadcast team is actually one of my favorite local ones i think they do a pretty good job of uh, finding a nice balance between mm-hmm. the two teams and not necessarily just giving you perspective from the home mm-hmm. team's perspective. But um, I think Razor Razor's actually done a really good job. I went back in preparation for this podcast yeah. and just watched like the last however many games of theirs. Yeah. And I think he does a good job of like actually calling them out for like being much, way too stagnant on the power play oh, and a lot of power play is really stagnant. And that's it has. and that's that's I mean and that's partially on the coach for clearly not getting the message across of you need to do this. And it's also on the players of move your feet. Like yeah. it's <laughs> well, and it's funny because like. It seems so obvious, like, oh, you want to score as quickly as possible. But I've talked about this in the podcast many times before, where yeah. the, with the Bruins, who are, by the way, the number one ranked power play, yeah. and certainly having Patrice Bergeron, mm-hmm. Tori Krug, yeah. uh, and they all play Brad together. David Pasternak. Yeah, but that's, but, but that's another point, though. You look at, they've got consistency that's grown. The Stars' power play has been kind of a juggling of pieces throughout, which part of that's injury, obviously. Right. Losing Klingberg changes things quite a bit. But obviously, once the Bruins have something that works and, and stuck with it. But here's what they have that works. They attack very quickly. Like yes, if the do. puck goes out of the yes. zone, they go back and they're quickly trying to score off the rush, off yeah. of face off. Mm-hmm. As soon as they win it, it's quickly like, let's move this around and get it to Pasternak yeah. rather than, all right, let's pass it out from one point to the other yeah. and hold it for 30 seconds and then yeah. get a weak shot on it. And yeah. I have seen a lot of that where it's like, talent is one thing, but having an objective and sticking to it, it goes such a long yeah. way on the power play. Well, right? how many, I mean, if you've, I don't know if you've noticed it. So how, how many games, if, with X amount of games right. you want to watch, you notice how often Alexander Radulov tries to force the backdoor pass. Yeah. That's yeah. every, if, if you and I can notice that, and now if you and I can notice that, Every every PK coach in the league right. can notice that. Okay, Radulov is looking for the guy cutting backdoor every time. He's not going to go anywhere else. And John Klingberg is looking for a similar play. Right. It's it's too stagnant. Well, yeah, and, and look at that power play goal they did score. I mean, it was it was Pavelski with like a greasy around the net yeah. thing. But what started that was Heiskanen and Gurianov yes. with a clean yep. entry off the rush. The Flames couldn't set their penalty kill, and mm-hmm. so let's talk more about Ben and Sagan okay. then because. Clearly, it's not as a tumultuous situation as last year when we talked about it. Yeah. But, you know, to, to get some headlines. I mean, it led 31 thoughts this, yeah. this, this week on mm-hmm. uh, Elliot Freeman's article about yeah. um, Jim Montgomery calling out the two players yeah. and then apologizing to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird because last year, I remember when we did this, I was very vocal in my defense of Tyler Sagan mm-hmm. and just viewed it purely as like a this is a classic example of people not understanding shooting percentage. Yeah. And he had mm-hmm. like 11 posts he hit yeah. at that yeah. time. And it's yeah. like... A couple bounces here or there. He's scoring yeah. more goals. No one cares about yeah. it. This year, certainly, he's shooting 5.1%. He's an 11% shooter. That mm-hmm. won't continue. He's yeah. going to score more goals. He's going to score more goals. But much like Ben, his shot rates individually are at an all-time low, and he is a volume shooter. And he doesn't have that benefit of, oh, just a couple inches here or there and all those posts, and they go in. And I think those are much more alarming, alarming trends for me where it's clear he's going to score more than yeah. three goals in 19 games or whatever. Yeah. But... He has not played as well as he was last year, I think. No, that's 100% true. And the other thing that's the most kind of alarming for me when I look at it is, so Jamie, I, I really believe when I look at it and I try to break it down and I look back at the whole Lights conversation, I really think it was more of a missile aimed at Jamie Ben, mm. where Tyler Sagan was more right. grouped in of like... By association. Yeah, and... We this is what we expect of people who make close to ten million dollars annually and over thirteen million in real money right now and stuff like that. So, however, 
one thing that Jamie has happened with Jamie Ben, and I'm not sure whether it's it's happened with Jamie Ben the past couple of years now is Jamie Ben disappears. Mm-hmm. Like Jamie Ben will go one game, one shift where he looks like that 2014 version that the people like to use the word beast mode, which I, I like. When, I, I like to use the word Sochi Ben, where right. he goes, yeah. he dials into what was Sochi Ben, the guy who was, you know what. He was an arguably top five player in the world in 2014. Yeah. Physically asserting yes. himself yeah. in like a functional Exactly, yeah. yes. And so there are times he'll do that and you're like, oh, wow, that's he still has it. But then the next game or the next period, he'll just disappear completely and you'll forget Jamie Ben's even playing. Sagan, even when he was not scoring last year, even though he wasn't scoring, you would still notice him. You'd, you'd still see him. He has had similar issues this year where Tyler Sagan will disappear. And that's that's been the more concerning thing for me, where Tyler Sagan shouldn't be disappearing from a game. Someone who's 10 games, 15 games into a mega eight-year extension yeah. should not be just disappearing from games like he has. Um, Sagan needs to be better. That's, I mean, I don't really know how else to say that about his yeah. game. Like, it's kind of like boring analysis. Yeah, it, like, it, it is. Like, it's just, just, it's, but I, he, he is a better player who needs to play better. Yeah. And there's not a... And there's not, and if there was a easy way to break it down and say this, it's this magic elixir or, right. or whatnot, then I do think there is a yeah. bit of a magic elixir. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I understand what Jim Montgomery's trying to do in terms of spreading the wealth, getting yeah. other players going. Yeah. But if you just look at, and I, I understand yeah. the flaws with, uh, with or without you stats, because there's yeah. so many different yeah, players yeah. to take into yeah. account. But I mean, it's pretty clear, and it makes sense logically that Sagan's a completely different player when he's playing with Radulov in terms yeah. of Radulov is is sort of – he's not the star's best player, but as mm-hmm. we saw in that game yeah. that turned around their season against Minnesota, yes. he's like the straw that stirs the yeah. drink. And I think his ability to sort of get the puck and be dangerous in the offensive zone with passing, yes. all uh, forced passes yeah. the, on the power yeah. play aside, like I think Sagan needs more of that. Now you can be like – well, it's a bit concerning that your highest paid player and your best player needs to play with someone yeah. and he can't just carry yeah. two no, Joe Schmoes, yeah. but I think that's the reality of the situation. No, I, I think him playing with Justin Dallin and Jamie Benn isn't a big deal to me. It's mm. when, like, that line is not, like, when people are overreacting about Justin Dallin playing with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. The line combinations have you exasperated, I can yeah. tell. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, those are, I'm like... There's, he's still playing with Jamie Benn. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. He's still playing with Jamie Benn. Right. Um, it's when he ends up with it's, – it's when he ends up with n- not Ben and not Radulov. And yeah. he's with – and he ends up and he ends up with uh, a couple other guys where he's not having that player. Like, Radulov – so Radulov to me is a – Radulov's like an exclamation point personified. Right. Like, it is – In everywhere. In everywhere. Yeah. And it is going to be wonderful for your team or it is going to be – the offensive zone hooking penalty he takes every third period. Yeah, <laughs> like, you just have to live with it, though, yes, right? It's like yes, it's a classic no, example yes. of like and what he, he brings to the he's table. He's incredibly entertaining to watch. Yeah. Like he is a person who, even with how the stars have played, stars have played a boring style. With even how the stars have played, he is still entertaining to watch. Yep, so. yeah, he transcends that for yeah. sure. But you know, with Ben, um, whereas I do think it's a, as simple as like saying he needs to play better. Yeah. You know, well, we talked about this last yeah. year. Like well, it's concerning that fact. I think we can say that. I mean, it's something that I think we can say is. Sagan needs to play better. Mm-hmm. Ben is a bad contract. The stars are mad at. Yeah, like that's just 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 the reality of it. Where the stars are looking at. If you looked at Jamie Ben's game and the underlying things he's done and, and the all around game, if he was making five million dollars, yeah, no one cares. You, you'd be fine. Yeah. You'd be fine. And I think well, if he wasn't a team captain, true. But yeah. it's it, it's it's still 
it, it's the contract. Like yeah. the stars are mad at the bad contract they have with Jamie Benn. That's where all this comes out. And I think part of it's mad at themselves too. And I, I don't know. I don't know if you would do anything else in hindsight when when you signed it and everything mm. like that. But it's it's a deal where when you invested this much into a guy and that much of your cap space, you need more goals. You can't have one goal. And he's have zero goals for the last 14. Like, you yeah. can't have that. Well, I think that's such a salient point you yeah. made about how, like, on a given night or on a given period or shift, like, you'll see the flashes of yeah. the player he used to be. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a misconception where people see that and then he goes stretches kind of disappearing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he, he's not trying. And I yeah. don't think it's as simple as that. Yeah. I think it's like, I remember this happened with the Sedins here in Vancouver yeah. where in their prime, every single night, they were yeah. just massacring teams. Mm. Yeah. And then... When they got older, every other game they do it, and then the following yeah. season it'll be like every third game, yeah. and it's like you just can't bring well, your A game every night because you're just physically declining. And he, Jamie Ben's an old thirty. Yeah, let's just oh, let's like, just let's just be honest about that. Like it's an old thirty. A he played this physical style that that wears down on being that punishing. Also, you're also in the collision. Yeah. And the other thing too is, and I'm not saying. Like he had his points didn't decline that much after the Art Ross season, but he had double hip surgery after yeah. that, and those type of things just start to add up here and there and here and there until he he's an old thirty. Like he is, he's probably like if you're going to put a real age, yeah, <laughs> so, you know he's probably he's the body of like a thirty eight year old. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like seriously. I mean, go back and watch those highlights from those peak Jamie Ben seasons. Yeah. It's a lot of like. He's just carrying along other players like yes. physically for the oh, ride yeah. towards the net, yeah. and he was just so big and strong that yeah. we would kind of like be like marvel at it. Yeah, and referees wouldn't even know how to officiate it because like they're like, "All right, if he falls here, I'm going to call a penalty." Yeah. But he's so strong yeah. that is it is the guy really hooking him in? in? But mm-hmm. it's like all of that kind of adds yeah. up, and you know when you look at the shot rates, uh, it's kind of crazy to me. In 2014, when I I agree, I think yeah. he was like kind of at his peak. Yeah, he was 19.4 shot attempts per 60. 10.7 shots on goal per 60 individually mm-hmm. those clips have fallen to 12.4 and 6.3 like it's like yeah. it's almost cut in half yeah and it's tough i mean he's 30 he has a contract yeah. which i remember last year we were like they're not gonna move him because he's the captain and what he's meant yeah. to the franchise but could they still get fair value in the trade market at this point it's like he's it's, immovable yeah like he's immovable no one would pay well, okay enough yeah, about yeah. his skating yeah though. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Contract is also yeah, immovable. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's no, there's no way, and I get this all the time from people of like, oh, well, they should, someone should look into trying to trade him. They should try and trade him and see what the offers are. He's like a full no move, so he wouldn't, he doesn't want to go anywhere anyway. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, no one's going to take a nine point eight five million dollar cap hit for, for five so, more years. Yeah, so. for five more years, and has one goal in eighteen games. Like, if this is the sample size of what Jamie Ben truly is. No one's taking that ever. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but kind of this is where they're at. And and I guess the one saving grace here for them is like when I look at this team, um, I'm really fascinated to see what their future holds in terms of what they look like in like 2023. I mean, who knows? Maybe the NHL yeah. won't even exist. Who knows what we're all going to be doing by then? But yeah. like the window for this team is right now. And that's why, um, you know, we can talk more about Pavelski yeah. and his play so far yeah. and where he's at in his career. But I wasn't like, I mean, I thought he'd sign for more years with someone than he did. I yeah. thought the fact that the Stars got him for the three years or whatever yeah. they did was a good piece of business. Um, yeah. But as, as far as I know, um, just from what I've heard and just like looking back on it and, and talking to people this year, what I keep hearing is that I, there were other teams that offered more, mm-hmm. but they were, it would have been a deal with like where Zuccarello went to a Minnesota yeah. where it was like, 
Minnesota's not really going to no. in that window to win right now. Yeah. And there's other teams that offered less. Like I, I heard something along the lines where Colorado was really interested in Pavelski, were, but, yeah. but only for two years. Yeah. But and so I think I like the Pavelski deal. I think it's something that I really th- I've liked it even more so in the last five six he's games. Played better, yeah. Sure. yeah, he's played better. And I think the other thing that is the other thing this team needed, and this is not to rip on Jamie Ben, but the Stars needed more of that vocal leader that can go and handle things both publicly and in the locker room in a more public setting. And right. and we've seen the mic'd up clips where Jamie is very talkative on the ice and all that stuff, but just like little things I noticed the other night where it's like, um, so we we'll go back to Justin Dowling, he scores the really nice goal. He's playing in his hometown and he takes warmups without, with, uh, he goes no bucket for warmups. Yeah. And typically the, typically you're not going warmups. You're not going no bucket for warmups unless you've played like a hundred games in your yeah. career. Like you don't get that right to go do that where, Someone else in the locker room jokes to Dallin, you're going to go no bucket. And Pavelski chimes in and is like, heck yeah, he's going no bucket. Right. And then Pavelski's like getting the kid all excited. And then the kid, Dallin's 29. But, right. But he's getting... <laughs> young man, but, young Joe Pavelski <laughs> yes. and young Justin Dallin. Yes, yeah. but, he's getting, but he's getting him all excited in his hometown and everything like that. Things that where I think we see a lot of that with Pavelski, where he's more of that vocal leader, where Ben's more of the, I'm going to lead by example, I'll talk when I need to. Sagan, I think, is kind of similar in that way, actually. Right. Like, while he's good with the media, he's... Not really the stand up and demand the spotlight in the locker room guy. So I've liked the Pavelski contract more and more because of that. And I think his underlying play, we've seen what he can do with him and Dennis Gurionov have found a really good mix where it's Gurionov is not an easy player to play with because when you're playing with a guy who goes mock speed every time, you have to know where to go, and you have to know where to put the puck. Right. And there's been other players who I've watched Gurionov play in the AHL. I've watched players who, like, there was a time I watched Jason Dickinson center Dennis Gurionov, where they can't play with him because they don't have the passing skill and they don't have the the foresight to realize what the kid's going to do. Right. Pavelski's been able to read off that and say, okay, like the goal the other night, I know where to go. I don't need to be fast, but I, need, I know where I need to go. episode of the Hockeypedia okay. cast is SeatGeek. If you feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose, you're not alone. I've found in the past that it's a really stressful process and honestly can sometimes be a barrier to actually uh, getting yourself out of the house and going to the event because you don't want to deal with all of it, whether it's uh, you know going on a bunch of different websites and trying to find the best deal or wondering whether you're getting ripped off or whether you're going to get a ticket and pay a bunch of money for it and then show up at the event and find out it's not even what you paid for. Uh, there's a lot of stressors there and, and I totally get uh, why people would be kind of put off by the whole process, but that doesn't need to be the case anymore because SeatGeek has really changed the game and revolutionized uh, the whole process by making it as easy for you as possible and saving you time, money, and effort. Um, they built the fastest way to find tickets. so You can stop searching for the perfect seat and just start enjoying it. Uh, here's what they do. They scour the web for you. They pull all the tickets that are available for any given event into one place. They rate each of those tickets that are available uh, as a deal on a scale of one to 10. And then they finally display them on an interactive seat map. So you can see for yourself for all those visual learners out there, uh, what the details are. So the green dots, 
mean a good deal. And those are the ones you should be targeting. And the red dots are overpriced ones you should stay away from. And every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. I've used it time and time again for all sorts of stuff. I mean, beyond just hockey. And I imagine a lot of you listening, that'll probably be your main interest and, and your main resource. But, uh, whether it's a basketball game, whether it's a football game, I've gone to concerts, uh, you know, stand up specials. There's so much uh, stuff out there that you, could, you should be enjoying, and SeatGeek's got the tickets for all of it. So even if you don't necessarily have a specific event in mind, um, you know, sometimes I just pull it up and see what's going on on any given night and kind of, uh, you know, spur of the moment go for it because SeatGeek makes it that easy to get those tickets. Plus, um, if that's not enough, for whatever reason, and I can't imagine it will be, but let's say you're one of the late adopters here and you're still struggling and you're like, okay, why should I give SeatGeek a shot above any other uh, ticketing service? Well, SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them just for listening to today's episode of the PDOcast. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. I'm glad you brought Dennis Gurianov. Okay. For those of you who aren't interested in Dennis Gurionov, you can feel free to turn off the podcast, come back for the next episode, <laughs> yeah. we'll be talking about something yeah. else. The rest of the show is going to be devoted to Dennis Gurionov. <laughs> On my list, though, this is like the ultimate like kind of like hipster thing. Of, okay. like, there's certainly... I, yeah. I enjoy watching Connor McDavid. Yes, yeah. The most. Okay. Yeah. Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. But in terms of like random players that like I'd say 70% of fans probably don't know who they are, Dennis Gurionov is one of my favorite players to watch for exactly what you said. Yeah. He is an absolute lunatic out there. Yes. And I understand that must be... Uh, Frustrating for the coaching staff at times, uh, frustrating for his teammates because knowing when to take something off your fastball yeah. and mix mix in a changeup here or there certainly yeah. goes a long way in, in this game. But um, one of my frustrations with Jim Montgomery has been his usage because I think Gurianov really gives this team an element, especially with hints out of the lineup mm-hmm. right now, of like a certain level of dynamic play that a lot of the other players just unfortunately, whether it's physically or whether it's talent-wise, can't bring to the table. Yeah. And so I love that like he provides this kind of curveball to keep with this, with, with this uh, baseball metaphor I'm going yeah. with here, where it's <laughs> like you just throw him out there and you're just like, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. But he's been playing really well this he's year. Really and well. yeah. maybe he's one of those players with a bit of a – this is one of the issues maybe with uh, the just pure eye test or a kind of confirmation bias that comes with it because it's like when he, you notice him – you really notice him because he's doing something crazy. Yeah. And then there's shifts where it's he's either doing not ne- nothing or doing something negative, yeah. and you don't really notice because you're like, oh, Dennis Gurianov's not doing his yeah. Dennis Gurianov thing. Yeah. So, but then the underlying numbers have been just as good, and now yeah. he's being sheltered like crazy. And uh, I think Montgomery's doing a good job in that regard. But he's also like their eleventh most used forward at five. He should, five or he should play. And, he should play more minutes. Like, on this that's team, like, that's he should be playing. He more. should play more minutes. Yeah. yeah, that's. I think that's completely fair. He should play more minutes. Yeah. Um, he's someone who. Denny's Denny's a great guy too. Mm. He's he is so he is the Denis Gurionov is the kind of crazy Actually this is a good way to put it. Denis Gurionov is like the more refined, crazy version of Alexander Radulov. Okay. So like you have the Alexander Radulov who um is just loud and boisterous and and you have is the Tasmanian devil. Yeah. Gurionov is like if the Tasmanian devil like went to prep school, like, and because so Denis Gurionov already has the equivalent of a law degree right. in Russia, 
and he already has told me that he's he's he already has a criminal law degree in Russia. He already plans to be a sports agent at the end of his career. Mm. The kid has two or three degrees already, like yeah. back in Russia. Right. That he, and and when he came over to the U.S., he met with an English tutor like every other day in, in, down in Austin and still did recently. And it's like he's the – like you, you look at his play, and you and you think and you and you think of what he who he might be like, and then you talk to him off the ice, and you're like, "This kid's really book smart." Like yeah. this kid, is, <laughs> yeah. like he's just a fascinating human too. Mm-hmm. Like he's well, he's an he's yeah. an interesting reminder of how uh, perspective is important with prospects sometimes, yeah. right? Because he goes, he was a lottery pick, I believe, right? He was definitely first round, but I think he was like he top was fifteen. Yeah, was he thirteen? Yeah, 13, so, 13, 14, so, so, yeah. I mean, like he was a, a yeah. pretty significant draft yeah. capital investment yeah. for the stars and. Uh, I think we've gotten a bit sort of spoiled by recent year in recent years where the league's getting younger, yeah. players are making an impact sooner, and so we just expect everyone to, as an 18, 19-year-old rookie, come in and light the world on fire. And then yeah. this guy, a couple of years, he's bouncing around, he's in the AHL, it's taken a while for him to get here. He's still only like 22 years old Yeah, he's only 22. And I think he's already proven without a shadow of a doubt that he's too good for the AHL, like just based on his production yeah. the past couple of years. And I just think like... He might make his mistakes, but he provides such a he. I think he elevates this team's ceiling where they have very few players that can like just physically out of nowhere create something. They don't have many game breakers, and ex- exactly that's a great way to put yeah. it. And I think he is. He might yeah. not do it as often as you'd like, or he mm-hmm. might make some head scratching mistakes. But it it just it's it's kind of like it throws a wrench into things that I think this team does need. Yeah, it's like the game where he had the uh, he scored the two goals in the backhand where he comes down, and that's a play that. Realistically, on the Stars roster, maybe Radulov and Hints are the only two that make that play. Right. Like, just re- like yeah. re- you're looking at it realistically. Like, I mean, obviously Sagan and Ben at their peak could create in different ways, but that dash burn the guy completely and fu- and wire the backhand bar down. That's yeah. not a play a lot of guys can make. Well, and yeah. the recent pairing with him and Pavelski is interesting to me yeah. because you mentioned sort of the savvy of Pavelski, yeah. Pavelski of knowing yeah. where to go, yeah. it kind of balances them yeah. out. We generally think of like you see a guy Glorianov and he goes so fast. Yeah. And you're like, all right, well, you need to play fast guys with him to yeah. keep up. Yeah. But especially like the, the game, so much of it is like played in half, like kind of like slow it down five yeah. on five uh, on the offensive zone yeah. at least. And it's like I like that kind of mix yeah. of like Pavelski's gonna be around the net and then you let Glorianov just retrieve yeah. the puck and create absolute mayhem. For for me, I really like those two. The key for the stars, and if you if you talk about like building consistent lines yeah. and stuff, like the key is figuring out who is that third guy that fits with them. And they've tried to like Nick Kamano play like kid and this is not to rip on a kid who just got called up from the AHL, but Nick Kamano should not be on the line with Dennis Gurionov and yeah. Joe Pavelski like he was the other night. Like more like Nick come on now. <laughs> come on now. Come on now. Yeah. There we go. I like maybe even even like like Matthias Janmark had a decent start to the season, but Matthias Janmark is just Matthias Janmark is just speed. That's all he is. He doesn't really have the like. So it's kind of figuring out. I to me is figuring out who's that third guy to play with Pavelski and Gurionov because I I really like them together. Mm. And whether and maybe that's I don't know. There's time. Maybe that's I don't know. You could do Radulov with them, or I don't know. There's a couple of things you could try, but I think you, you're trying to figure out who that third because that could be a dynamic line if you found a third guy to stick with them and actually roll with it because Montgomery is someone while he has juggled lots of things he has admitted he wants to find that consistency that's why he has the the uh, the Cagliano Fox Acomo line they're mm-hmm. always together because they play the same game always right. together they're not jumbled in and out so 
if they found the right fit, that could be whether you call it a second line, whatever you want to call it. It right. could be it could be a huge to this team's ceiling, as you kind of said earlier. Like, well, and that's the thing I keep going back to yeah. with the stars. I think they they know who they are in the sense that we've seen in this recent stretch, like they want to kind of grind it out and win mm-hmm. these low scoring yeah. games. But then they have these players like Goryanov, like Hints. I think even Radulov, although he, you could say in, in that kind of five-on-five game, he he'll play he'll play fine anywhere. But like, I think even he benefits sometimes from this kind of like helter-skelter, unpredictable nature, where mm-hmm. like he can just his ta- talent shines through. And then obviously with Heiskanen and, yeah. and Klingberg, so that's what I keep coming back to, where it's like this team plays like a bottom ten team in terms of team speed and, and pace. But I don't think they have that type of a roster. So that's kind of what we started this conversation. Yeah, no, they should. And it goes goes back to the biggest issue that Jim Montgomery admitted at the beginning of the season. And it's, it's, it turns into coach. I think it turned into coach because before the season started, he talked to me about how the stars were relentless without the puck last season, Mm -hmm. which is completely fair. And they just needed to be relentless with the puck this season. Relentless is the word he likes to use. That's his buzzword. Every coach has their buzzwords, right? And the, uh, they're not relentless with the puck as a group. Like they're not. That's just it's. It doesn't. It doesn't fit in that way. Like that's just not how they've played. And while they may say they played a rather good, like they talked about the game against Calgary the other night where they played a rather good team game in the way they want to play and everything like that. It was still a boring hockey game. Oh like, my god, that game! Like it was. It was still like it was. A, it was a rather boring hockey as game. As soon as they went up, like yeah. I could feel the life being sucked out of that game, yeah. and I'm sure Jim Montgomery was on the bench, just like loving it because exactly. that's what yeah, he yeah. wants no, to see as a coach. Yeah, they're playing. I mean, it's they're playing every game. Like the, he's coaching every game, and the team tends to play every game like they're playing Game Seven again. Mm. Like they're playing like we have to limit the mistakes to where we aren't going to lose because the season will end, and it's okay to open it up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I guess that that that, that was that was my question. Yeah. Like. Because it's easy for me to be like, I would open it up because yeah. they have exciting players and they yeah. should be playing faster and should be playing better. Yeah. But it, go, it goes back to that thing where I kind of said earlier, where there's, your system's good for some guys and then there's some other guys who need to be able to live on that sliding scale. And but the problem is their most important players are the guys you could argue the system's not good for. Like when you're like, oh, this system is good for... Blake Como and, and Andrew Cogliano. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah, you, but, you can find those guys. But you don't need... You don't need Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan to play the same game right. that Blake Como and Andrew right. Cogliano do. You, you don't You don't need that. Right. Um, that's not something that... Like, you can have a system with multi-facets. Of course. And I think that's the... And the other thing, too, is... It's easy to just go say... It's e- it's easy to blame players because obviously the Stars organization has done it quite a bit, <laughs> uh, but it's Jamie Ben has one goal. It didn't stop. Ro- I mean, I know Ropa Hintz is a completely different player, but Ropa Hintz has nine nine yeah, yeah nine goals now, and it still didn't, leads the team in scoring. Yeah, and Alexander Radulov has six, and yeah. and I mean, so it's not stopping guys from scoring like. So part of it, to me, still does fall back on you have got these star players who should be able to score no matter what the system they're in. Now, right. obviously, there's some systems that would unlock them better than others, right. which is a whole other topic. But it's they 
Tyler Sagan should be should have more than three goals, no matter what the coach is telling him to yep. do. Just frankly, with his talent. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's very yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about the goaltending yet. I guess it yeah. kind of it ties into. Uh, it's this... a, it's a, and it's a big part of who the stars are because it like is. it's they the stars are a team who we can all be i mean we all know it the goaltending held them back three years ago yeah like it was the when in the year they won they had the best record in the western conference it was carlett and antiniemi fell apart in the playoffs and three years in the one ken hitchcock season um ben bishop's injury ben bishop's injury led to Kari Lettinen falling apart and the Stars missing the playoffs. Yeah. And the Stars are able to play the way they are because of how good their goalies are. Just it's you, – you can't really jump around that. Mm-hmm. Like um, Ben Bishop is having some of his best years. Just he is having yeah. some of his best years, which is kind of impressive for someone who was a Vesna Trophy winner – not winner, sorry, Vesna finalist, Trophy yeah. finalist yeah. multiple times in, in Tampa. And Anton Hudobin has been – better than Anton Hudobin ever was. Mm-hmm. Like what like I think that's kind of gets washed. I think that kind of gets forgotten actually when people take the 200 foot look from the set the stars is because this crazy backup Kazakh goalie right. is one of the biggest is maybe one of the team MVPs because for the first time ever the stars have trusted their backup. They don't need Bishop to play 60 games and they and they don't look they don't look like when the backup's in, they don't look like they're so scared to let up a shot that they can't play. So the goaltending is just is a huge point for this team, and the defense, has, and it's created a system. It's allowed them to kind of play this defensive system where they can give up. They, they don't give up much, but they know that they have the goaltending. It's it's and it, it, The goaltending is huge for this team. Yeah. Like it's, and I, and I, I know that's huge for every team, right. but for a team that scores as little as Dallas does because of how because of how they play and because of player production and all that stuff. If if not for the goaltending kind of flipping a little bit of switch too around that Minnesota game, um actually that's actually a perfect example. So that game where they're down three nothing and come back to win six three yeah, against Minnesota, Hudobin came yeah. in at the start of the second period. Right. Like he did, yeah. And then lights a fire under it actually lit a fire under Bishop who comes out and Plays rather well the next game in Colorado. Like, well, yeah, and, and, and it's huge because um, you know Dallas clearly with the uh, investment they have in Bishop for whatever three or more years they have him under under yeah. contract and his injury history and the yes. fact that you know it's different where like Boston for example or the Islanders like the Bruins the Islanders and the Stars did this best last year I thought yeah. in terms of like this modern approach of like playing both your goalies getting great results with mm-hmm. a defensive system Arizona did it well too I think they did yeah, yeah like, they did so, but, but yeah, when yeah. Antaranta went out it was much more like that's true Darcy yeah, 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 that's right? true. now they're gonna do in, that. in theory it was before they wanted they get, to yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Um, but with the Stars it's a bit different where it's not like you know you're not playing uh, Thomas Grice one night and then automatically uh, Semyon Barlamov the next night and going like that because while the Stars will do that, there's also going to be a period of this time of se- time the season where Ben Bishop's out for like two weeks. Like that's just we unfortunately it, it just, it, you don't it, want to wish injury it, upon a player. It's but just it's just true. Like 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 it, it, it happens every year. yeah it happens so every year. Having Hudobin there where yeah. it's like for these two weeks he's going to yeah. hold the fort and play well for us and it makes it a lot easier playing behind Jim Montgomery system obviously yeah. where I believe they're number one in both. Uh, chances against yeah. and expected goals against but making well, the saves it, it, is another it, it, thing and one name we need to give credit to on all of this is just it's 
the person who deserves a ton of credit for this system and on the defensive end is Rick Bonus. Mm-hmm. Like Rick yep. Bonus is the Rick Bonus runs the Stars defense. He is the and he was the he was an assistant coach in Tampa too and Bishop and on the, was, and on the Great Canucks team. Yeah, exactly. And so he he deserves a ton of credit for this too. Where it is like it's Jim Montgomery is the head coach and gets all the both the blame and the praise because right. that's what happens with head coaches. Rick Bonus is someone who you look at what he's done for this team and you look at how he runs the defense. He deserves a ton of credit for helping create this from the back end. Yeah, yeah, no, he does, yeah. and it's sort of a concerted effort. But I don't know. I, I it's interesting. It's a thought exercise because I think sometimes playoff successes or playoff failures can change an organization so much, right? Like, like overly so. Over. Overly so. But there's like an, there's as analytical as you want to be, there is a human emotional psychological element where you react to whatever happened most recently, right? Yes. And so with this team, it's like they went from being the most exciting, high scoring, fast paced team under Lindy Ruff to now this team that is the complete opposite. And they're pretty much equally successful, they, so I'd say. They, yeah. And they, 100% thing, where they take yeah. a look at what happened. Um, with the year, so obviously they well they they needed better goaltending. Yeah, that was after the they needed the better goaltending, but they that lost the St. Louis Blues. Not this one, not the one last year. The one from 2016 was one where they and then the, obviously the injuries start the next year and everything kind of falling down and falling apart. That led to the overcorrection of Ken Hitchcock. Yeah, and. Hitch deserves some credit for the things he did. The team, it, it helped some of the guys become better structured teams, but it put the team, it set up a template that Jim Montgomery kind of stepped into where the stars are still playing kind of Ken Hitchcock hockey with a little bit of a twist. And it was a template that was over, overly set because, well, we didn't win the cup with this high flying back and forth style and then it exploded brilliantly the following season so we have to completely go the other way so how much of that do you think was jim nail how much do you think was ownership how much do you think it was in between in terms of that or in terms of that like kind of reaction where it's like we cannot lose again with Kari lennon and antiniemi giving up four or five goals against the game i believe that I personally believe that ownership had way more influence on the Ken Hitchcock hire Mm. than the Jim Montgomery hire. Now, obviously, the GM makes the hire, and if it went so far against Jim Nill's principle, we would have had we would have had the story where Jim Nill would have stepped down or something like that and said, "Like, well, no, they're (laughs) like um, so." But I believe that Ken Hitchcock was more of a owner thought hire. I don't. Getting someone to say that or ever proving that is very difficult, mm-hmm. but I just, it's a feeling I get. Right. And Jim Montgomery is more of the coach that, Jim Montgomery, the college coach, let's put it that way. Jim Montgomery, the college coach, is way more of the coach that Jim Nill wanted to hire mm-hmm. as far as someone untraditional, right. came from a college route. Maybe trust younger players a little bit more. That was the biggest issue with Titch. Whether whether you want, we can talk about the merits or demerits of defensive. The big the biggest issue was how younger player he basically completely shelved younger players that um he, and he it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and so Jim Montgomery was supposed to be kind of more of that open voice, but Monty still has some of those 
key hitch elements in him. It's mm. like he is has that old school thought. He is he is maybe a quote unquote young coach, but he has some old school personality about him where I laugh like it's telling where so I don't know if any people may have seen the clip where there was a game where Colin Montgomery is Jim Montgomery's son. He's like eight years old. And during the intermission, he's the he's the goalie during the intermission mm. shootout at the American Airlines Center. Yep. And I asked Monty after the game, um, I asked Monty after the game, hey, was that was that your son? Just And I'm just trying to confirm this fact for a story. And he says, yeah, was he horrible? <laughs> I score on him all the time at home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like if we talk about different, like, if you just, it's, it's a silly anecdote, but it's just a look into Jim Montgomery is, is, is blunt. He's brash. He's very from the old school style of right. coaching, old school style of parenting, it seems to. And that is very Ken Hitchcock like. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if I made a good point there or not. I was no, kind of rambling. No, it, it is. <laughs> but, it is. It's fair because yeah. I think, yeah, sometimes, especially with college coaches, um, you know, you, and you look at their age and you're like, okay, well, you know, this guy's probably more, more, more modern, more progressive. And yeah. I'm sure he is than Ken Hitchcock, but it, it, oh, yeah. it's, it's but, yeah. it, a lot of it comes yeah. back to like philosophy and sort of how you came up in terms of what you, what you believe in or what you, what you, what you're comfortable with in terms of, uh, losing it, I, I think is the best way to put it. Cause mm-hmm. like if you, I imagine for him, it's like much more infuriating if they lose five, four than if they lose like two, one, or it's like, or it's like, Oh, you know, at least yeah. we, like held, we, we, we kind of, we were responsible. We were reliable defensively. Mm-hmm. We, I think we a lot of coaches are like that though. Of course. Like, yeah. And like, I yeah. think that's a big issue yeah. with hockey. I think yeah. where it's a lot more conservative and a lot more like, let's try not to lose as opposed mm-hmm. to let's try to win. And, well, and part of it is because winning is, winning is not important. Soul winning is not important until April. Right, like it's if and not that and not that any team is going to make. No one's trying to go oh oh and eighty two, but but coaches are more concerned about getting points than yeah. than wins. No, so it's, it's and that's a fundamental, I think, flaw. And I don't know, I don't know if there's a way to change that, but it's just a fundamental flaw where coaches are more coaches are coaches and the system looks at points versus wins. Yep, and as opposed to like. The NBA, there's no point system. Right. You win or lose. Yeah. Like, if it goes to overtime, right. you win or lose. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that's true. Um, well, okay, let's spin it forward then. I think, yeah. I think you know, you mentioned April, and I think that's a good segue here for us in terms of looking ahead where they're so stylistically different than, I think, two of the teams they are using as barometers in their own division between the Avalanche and the Predators, mm-hmm. where... I think the Avalanche are second in scoring, and the Predators are third, or vice yeah. versa. They're both top five Something scoring like teams yeah, so far right. this season. Yeah. And especially the Predators have had such a identity change this summer where they brought in Matt Duchesne, they gave mm-hmm. it to P.K. Subban. I think they've opened it up much more, and mm-hmm. they're playing that more kind of aggressive, let's just try to outscore I mean, teams. David, David Poyle got crazy and gave out a second no-move clause. Like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wild times in <laughs> like, Nashville. Wild times. Like, <laughs> but anyways, like, you know, we talk so much about how a style makes a yeah, fight. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, as we look ahead to that, theoretically they're probably going to have to go through at least one of those teams mm-hmm. if they're going to advance in the yeah. playoffs in the first round and and last year they did so against yeah. nashville though nashville was a much different team yeah. in terms of the way they played but um i wonder if there's an element to that as well where they're like kind of looking ahead it's like okay you're probably not going to beat the avalanche in a 6-5 game that often because they just have more talent when they're healthy when i just shook my head on a podcast back. which is not a uh... yeah yeah um <laughs> so you're you're yeah, in agreement yeah. with me there yeah, and, yeah. and so um 
their path to victory against those teams probably will be much more yeah. sort of let's annoy the crap out of them and slow it down and try to win let's, fr- let's frustrate them win to one I, grind I them they down actually have yeah. shown that yeah. i mean colorado is sort of a shell of themselves at this point regardless yeah. of how but they beat, but they beat colorado is. they beat colorado twice yeah. and and you could see and part of it is mckinnon was frustrated by miro hishkinen that, yeah. that that was actually the biggest dynamic of that game of mm. the dallas has a now it's going to be interesting to see when Colorado's fully healthy right, because because back, yeah. and because Dallas's not many teams have the defensemen who can skate like Hishkinen to keep up with McKinnon and that right. very much pretty much that frustrated McKinnon quite a bit. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens when Rant and Landeskog are out there and everything like that. But yep. um, so Dallas has these these pieces to really frustrate those guys. They're obviously they're not going to they're not going to outscore them six five. No. They're, they're just don't have the. And the, and the other part of this goes to just you look at the type of players that Dallas has built from within. They're not bad players, but they've overly produced middle six guys mm. like. Radic Fox is a first round pick. He's a good yeah. shutdown center. Right. But he's not really much of an offensive threat. Jason Dickinson is someone who has been good on the four check recently and I think can be a fill in top six when somebody's hurt, but he's another first round pick that's kind of more of a middle six bottom guy. Matthias Yanmark is a guy who plays with good energy and stuff like like that's why Gurionov actually we talked about Gurionov before like that's why Gurionov is such a revelation for yeah. this team because they have not found really any internal answers no. for for and, and created players that actually break games yeah. and it's well, I'd, lump, it, I'd lump hints in there as well oh yeah you know, no, hints, hints, yeah, season, just, yeah yeah I'm just yeah right. no hints is definitely hints is a player I mean you want to talk actually it's, it's funny you, you talk about foresight and giving the stars credit for something if they truly and I believe they did but if they truly placed the winter classic jersey orders hmm. last January when Rope hints only had five points and the only orders they placed were Ben Sagan Radzilov Bishop hints and Hishkinen, hmm. that's really like that's that's incredible foresight by somebody in the front by somebody in the marketing department. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, they should have done Guryanov is what I how I feel. Yes. Yes. Um yeah, no, it's it's so that's why it's going to be so fascinating to look ahead and look down the road in terms of when we revisit those matchups in terms of how they line up with each other and sort of You're right. I think um the Stars play like a slow team, but they aren't a slow team. And and, and on one hand, sometimes it works because right. I think I think there's times where Hintz and Gurionov, the stars have slowed the other team into neutral so much, and then Hintz and Gurionov go like that, right? And then it's like, where the hell did that guy come from? And the puck's in the back of your net. Right. So I think there's times where it's the lull, it's the old rope dope, yeah. <laughs> like, but no, but in terms yeah. of in terms of that foot speed, I think if yeah. they do get dragged into more of a track meet, not necessarily Although a high they, scoring game, but in terms yeah. of like a, a, a skating game, yeah. I do think it's not the type of game where they're just going to be like, like a fish out of water. No, they, they could can't. play. They could play it. Like yeah. like they have the guys who could stay, skate. Like Yanmark, Cogliano, they can all skate. They're not. Yeah. They don't have the hands to match their foot speed, but they can skate. Hmm. Um, the defense. The defense skates well. Like obviously, I think. Obviously, Hishkinen skates tremendously well. Um, Lindell's a better skater than people give him credit for. Um, and obviously, Klingberg moves well. And I keep thinking if like Stephen Johns was healthy, that would be a great oh, thing yeah. for this team. Like yeah. now, 
whoever knows if he'll ever play again. Obviously, yeah. you you hope he does, but with dealing with the head stuff yeah, and everything. But yeah. but he would have been he would have been the ideal. It's a minor tangent, but he would have been the ideal long term partner for Hishkinen. Mm-hmm. Big right big right handed shot guy who moves well enough. Big heavy shot. So I did. I thought the. Uh... Andre Sekera signing was a nice little low-key one. I mean, obviously, it was very low risk after he got bought out. Yeah. They didn't commit anything mm-hmm. to it. And, you know, you know where you're going to get with him physically. He's already been banged up this season. But, like, just in terms of, like, getting a guy who could, like, potentially play in third pairing and, like, do stuff and not just be, like, okay, we're not going to just, like, we're going to do nothing for these third pairing minutes so you can yeah. actually create something a little well, bit with the, the puck The problem is, is, is based on injury and necessity, he's played second pairing. Yeah. That's the problem. That's, yeah. yeah, that's They're the issue. Yeah. Much, yeah. Like he's, I think he's, I think for his contract, you know what? He's a very good player for his contract. It's one, I think it's 1.25 before yep. bonuses and he could get up to two with bonuses, up to two with bonuses, I think is the total. But so he's a very good signing for the contract. It's just the question of, is he playing in the right role based on necessity? And right now he's probably elevated a bit higher than he should be because of that. But yeah. All right, well let's uh, let's get out of here. Want to plug some stuff? What uh, what are you working on these days while you're uh, yeah you're out here in Western Canada on the road? Yeah, let's see. We uh, well, obviously Vancouver's a wonderful uh, time to actually connect with the uh, Stars owner. So mm-hmm. uh, connected with uh, actually before you and I met up today, I connected with Stars owner Tom Gillardi. So I've got something on that coming out soon. Uh, We're equally wealthy. What? We're equally wealthy. Yes, and, yes. And him, so. I, uh, what's your hotel chain named? <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got that. We've got that. Um, I've got a fun Dennis Gurionov story to look oh, forward to. I will to. be clicking the crap out yes, of that. Yes, I, I have a fun Dennis Gurionov story coming out that's kind of off the beaten path. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, 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 what, that's what we've got going right now. And it's been... That's kind of things going in Stars Land. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I imagine they have kept you busy. Yes, very past, much so. Uh, for, for six, seven weeks. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean... Similar, it's, it's it's what I said. Like the games they play and they want to play are boring. The actual overall results right so, now, if you look at them, are so pedestrian. But the way they get there is very. Interesting. I've got a good way to compare the stars yeah. now um, that I've kind of used this comparison a couple times. Now, the stars used to be a team that they were your NHL TV, NHL Center Ice team, or whatever. They that were you, number one for a couple. The, of years yeah, they were the one that, that you went and watched because. If you turned it on in the third period and it was 6-3, that game could end 8-7. Yep. Like, there was that. Now they're the team that you still pay attention to because I want to watch a close hockey game with five minutes left. Yeah. They're going to be in a one-goal game in the third period. And that creates its own drama. Now, that doesn't mean the first 55 minutes were redeeming. Right. But, so they've, they've kind of gone from the reason to watch from being completely open and in crazy town to, well... You know, it'll be close the way you watch a close college basketball game at the end. Yeah. <laughs> now, the 2019-20 Dallas, the Dallas Stars, if you like close games, watch us. Yes, That's exactly. Motto. All right, well, Sean, I'm glad we got to do this in person finally. This was a blast. Um, you know what? This, if this franchise has taught me anything, it's that we will be having you back on the show to talk <laughs> about one thing or another. So I'm looking forward to that day. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the rest of the season, and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, happy to, have, happy to be on. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.